Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Joshua 24, we're ready to go there. We're in Joshua's farewell address. I am so excited to dig into this with you today. I've been studying it all week and I've got my bag full of tricks here I'm gonna get to in just a minute. Gotta call attention to it because it's way bigger than I anticipated it being right here beside me. Uh, Joshua 24, verses 16 through 24. If you have your Bible, would love for you to go there. Joshua 24, 16 through 24. Remember, we're in Joshua's farewell address to the people of Israel. And Moses gave three speeches before he died. Joshua gave three speeches before he died. I think that's kind of cool. And the people of Israel today, we're going to find, are going to give three speeches of their own, three declarations of their commitment today in our text. And remember where we landed last week as you're getting ready here in Joshua 24, where, where, where we talked about that famous passage of scripture where Joshua ends his little section with, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He told the people of Israel, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then we roll straight from that into verse 16 and we see the people's response to Joshua. Verse 16, then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. We remember, and it was the Lord our God who did this great, these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed, we remember. And it was this same Lord, the Lord our God, who drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land, we remember. And therefore, we also, Joshua, will serve the Lord, for he is our God. That's our first declaration. We see it that the people made. First declaration right here. We will serve the Lord. Now, remember, this is in direct response to what Joshua said. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve in verse 15. And the people are responding now by saying, we will serve the Lord. Far be it from us to forsake our God. He's brought us up out of this slavery. He's brought us further than we could ever imagine. He's taken care of us. He's been faithful. Far be it from us. I just want to belabor this just for a moment because it sounds an awful like us. Far be it from me to ever forsake you, God. Sounds kind of like Peter when he told Jesus he would never deny him. And Jesus said, well, not only will you deny me, but you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Far be it from me. And Joshua presses into their commitment here. 
this is what he says in verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. <laughs> Joshua, what? We will serve the Lord. No, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. Listen to me, Joshua says. You, you need to understand the severity of this commitment. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you Good. Remember, Joshua was there right beside Moses when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the, the tablets in his hand and the people had the golden calf. Do you, do you remember that scene? I'm moving fast. We've got a long way to go. But Exodus chapter 32, when Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees that the people had taken all their jewelry and he, they put them in this boiling pot and they, so that they could create an idol to worship, so that they cre could create a golden calf to trust in because it was taking them too long to come down from the mountain. And Joshua was right there beside Moses in those moments. The Bible shows us that Joshua was watching and learning from Moses. And when they came down the mountain, Joshua saw the, the punishment, the consequence that came on the people that day through the hand of Moses. Joshua saw the severity of when you play with this holiness, when you try to steal the seat that God alone can fill and put a calf that's gold in that place or whatever else, Joshua saw this is no joke. For he is a holy God and he is jealous for his glory. What does that mean? He's a jealous God. Sometimes we correlate jealousy with negative, like a, a negative thing. Like we don't, we shouldn't be jealous and that's right. But when it comes to God, of course he's jealous because there's nowhere else for people to put their affection. So he knows that he alone is the place for your perfection, for your affection to rest. And he is jealous for that affection because if you put it anywhere else, it's gonna fail you. That's what that means. He's a jealous God. He knows that he alone is the one to be trusted in. And Joshua saw all of this. He was right there with Moses. He saw. So he's not using hyperbole today in our text when he says he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. You cannot do this. You're not able on your own. You need help from the Spirit of God. It must be a miracle for you to serve the Lord your God. He's just painting the picture. He's leading them to count the cost. Because serving God is no casual commitment. Verse 21, this is how the people responded. They had strong backbones. I like it. So if he said that to me, I would be like, this is what they did. People said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Second declaration, same as the first. You see that? No, no, we will serve the Lord. We know who he is. We've seen him move. We've seen him bring us out of captivity. We've seen what he's done. We believe him. We know him. We love him. And we will serve him. Second declaration. And this is what Joshua said to them in verse 22. You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And then they said this. 
We are witnesses. They agreed. And Joshua said, okay, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Put away the foreign gods and incline your heart to the Lord. What does that mean? <laughs> Put away, it's a little bit easier to understand. Put away foreign gods. That, that word is used elsewhere for remove or depart from, to take off. Joshua says, remove foreign gods. What's he talking about? We can, we can simplify this today by using a word that um, may be churchy, but I'll help define it as we go. Idols. Remove idols and incline your heart to the Lord. Incline, this word incline means stretch out, reach, incline your heart, reach your heart for the Lord, stretch out your heart to the Lord your God. I love that as we were singing that song earlier about how his love reaches for us. And as we reach our hearts toward him, we know that he's already reaching out for us. That same term right here that, that Joshua uses, incline, it's used all throughout the Old Testament, several times in Exodus, for the outstretched hand of the Lord, the redeeming outstretched hand of the Lord your God. He says, in the similar way, reach out your heart, outstretch your heart toward him. That's what he means by incline your heart toward him. Psalm 81, eight through 10, gives a similar language. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. Listen to verse 10. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So open up your mouth and I will fill it. We're coming back to that. So, so remove the idols and, and reach out your heart for the Lord. Stretch out your heart toward God. That's what Joshua is saying here. And then verse 24, to end our text together today, the people said to Joshua for the third time, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. That is a massive declaration. And it's even more massive because it's the third time that they've made it, which was very important in these days especially. When you said something three times, there was great emphasis on what you were saying. It was like a seal. And he said it. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Joshua's talking about a familiar subject that's all throughout the Bible, idolatry. Idolatry. And if I could boil that term down for us simply today, this is how I would do it. An idol is anything. An idol is anything, anyone anything, any place, any noun that you love, trust, 
and serve more than God. Anything, anything in this life that you love, trust, and serve in the place of God is an idol. Now, it's easy for us to look at examples of idols in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and think that we're not dealing with the same thing today because a golden calf, Jared, that's weird. Like, we're not gonna do that, okay? But don't get caught up in the thing as much as the place that the thing holds inside of you and your life and my life. Because when we really look under the surface, we will see that idolatry is the root of our sin problem today as well. Idolatry is the root of it all. Augustine said, this is, is going to probably get you thinking and I told myself I wasn't gonna put this one out there because it's probably, I don't have time to really explain it, but, but Augustine famously said that the essence of sin is disordered love. The essence of, of sin, like the, the, the bottom line is we've got our love out of order. We've got who we serve out of order. We've got who we trust out of order. That's what idolatry is. There are plenty of things in this life that you could probably look to and say, yep, I've got that one above God, and it's out of order. That's what Joshua was dealing with in the people of Israel, and that's what the Holy Spirit is dealing with us today when we read this text. These are the things in our life that, are, that get our attention, our affection, our worship, our, our time, our money, our priority. What are these things? Let me ask you this question, maybe to simplify and get you thinking in your mind. It's rhetorical. Don't jump up and tell me about it. But this is a rhetorical question. What is one thing in your life that you can't live without? I just think of one thing. There may be a lot on, on your list. I know for me, it's like, oh boy. What is one thing that you cannot imagine living without? And if that thing is transient, if that thing is temporary, if that thing is dependent on anything else, it's not gonna last. And it's not a good place to rest your hope or your trust or your love. It's certainly not a good place to look and say, I can't live without that because eventually it's gonna be gone. You see where we're going. Martin Luther said this, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. I like really smart people that make it simple. Like whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, there you will find your God. And a God, little g, a foreign God, a, an idol, cannot be trusted. And God, the true living God, capital G, Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Israel who we're reading about today, this God requires us to get rid of all the other competitors. He requires it. Let me say it this way. The true and living God requires devotion of his people. And this is probably hard to hear and it's probably hard to believe at times because of the way that we've set up all of this religion thing in the 21st century 
west. But he requires devotion. He requires devotion. And, and, and we've systematically, let me go here for a second. We have systematically watered down that truth to fit inside of our comfortable box. <laughs> oh boy, our comfortable bag. <laughs> We've, we've, we've reduced it. We've watered it down to fit inside of something we're more comfortable with, which just looks like a transactional, let me walk down the aisle, make a profession, and then I'm good, and then I can go about living my life devoted to everything else. And we're putting our hope and trust and love and worship into things that will not satisfy us and things that will ultimately fail us, things that will ultimately let us down. And Joshua is warning the people there today, and I believe the Holy Spirit is warning us in a day where we have a lot of idolatry, but it's a lot more subtle today than a golden calf. Because we ain't running around them like they were, you know, doing a tribal dance. But I can tell you one thing, we might be doing some tribal dances about some other things, maybe some teams, Maybe some mutual funds. Maybe our kids. We'll get there in a second, but I mean, you know, I got to kind of step on the toes before I stomp on the toes with them. <clears throat> okay. Here's the truth. When you are redeemed by God's grace through faith in Christ, when, when, when this happens, when you put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins because of his finished work on the cross, your sins are forgiven and you are transformed into a new creation. Transformed. And then what happens next is you begin following him. And following him as his disciple is not a once in a while, kind of a part of your life. I'll check in with him when I really need him kind of thing. That's not what following him as a disciple means. Being his disciple is all consuming. It, it's, it takes over the way you see life and the world and every pursuit around you. It requires devotion. John Ruskin said this, God will put up with a great many things in the human heart, but there is one thing that he will not put up with in it, and that is a second place. He who offers God a second place offers him no place at all. There's a lot of things he's gonna put up with. There's a lot of things, but there's one thing John Ruskin said that he will not put up with. And that is a second place because he has no rival. He has no competitor, but we are raising up, lifting up competitors all day, every day to be in front of him. Why, 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 why does God not tolerate this? Here's a simple answer. I've been working really hard on trying to simplify this one. No good thing was ever meant to be the ultimate thing. No good thing. Certainly no bad thing. <laughs> no good thing was ever meant to be the ultimate thing. Our greatest problem is that we're exchanging 
the true living God with cheap copies of God that will eventually fail because no good thing was ever meant to be the ultimate thing. No little G God will ever be able to satisfy. It will always fail. It will always come up short. It will always run out of time. But the true living eternal God was always meant to fully and completely satisfy us and he requires your devotion. Romans 1, 22 through 25. This is rough right here, I gotta tell you. Claiming to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. Who's they? Verse 18, if you rewind, talks about the unrighteous, the ungodly. That's who Paul is writing about here when he says they. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Big G, immortal, living, true. They, they exchanged that glory for images resembling mortal man and birds and creeping things. You see how he did that? He just walked it down. Like, I, mm, you, let me do it again. I won't do all that again. Maybe you remember, but just think about it that way. It, they exchanged the, the glory of the immortal God who no, no one else can touch that. Like, nothing is close. And, but they didn't want that. So they exchanged that Images that kind of look like mortal man and, and birds and animals and creeping things that just wallow around in the dust. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because... They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. There is no exchange more costly than this exchange, especially in the face of the greatest exchange ever made, which was Jesus on the cross for you and I and our sin. And we're daily flying in the face of that with exchanging his glory that he's made possible for us to, to sit with now for mere images that resemble creeping things. You'll never be satisfied by feasting on cheap replicas of the least of his creation. We must not exchange the one who can satisfy us eternally and completely with pathetic replicas of the least of what he has created. No idol can satisfy your need. Your expectations will always be unmet. You will always be left empty-handed. No temporary thing, no matter how good that thing might be, is able to bear the weight of your worship. No temporary thing. An example of this would be an athlete that, that, gets, that has a, a season-ending or, or even like career-ending injury. Maybe something comes to your mind. Maybe some of you have had something similar happen to you. 
What happens to the athlete that has their career yanked out from under them because of their injury? A lot of times, their world gets totally turned upside down. And they're forced to reckon with how much love and how much priority and how much affection have they placed on that thing that they were pursuing. And in a moment, they are met with the reality that no sport could bear the weight of all of that that they put on it. It was never meant to last forever. I remember when, when my brother, he was, he was right here, or no, he was right here, I think. He, he's, he's real handsome, dark hair, and you know, he's, he sings really good, and I gotta tell him that you liked his growl. I will, I will, because he's, he's he'll like that. I don't know if he can hear that or not, but... I did get a good compliment on the way up here, Carter, Kegel, follow him on Facebook and Instagram and all that. I'm just kidding. I didn't tell him I was going to do this, uh, but hopefully he'll be okay with it. I'll never forget, he played, yeah, he played on a team that went to the NCAA tournament in college, and they, they made it passed the first round in a dramatic fashion. And the whole nation was watching them. This was in 2015, 14, 15, can't remember, long time ago. Had two kids since then, rocking and rolling, doing great in his career. Is 15, I'm pretty sure. Cut it off, he said. Was it 15? It was 15. The whole world was watching Georgia State in this moment. Maybe you don't remember it a long time ago. Maybe the whole world wasn't watching, but we thought the whole world was watching because they made this shot and it was crazy and we're going to the second round and this is, this is it, you know? And they got all this press on them and they're going through the hotel and everybody's there like loving on them and they're so excited. And I remember talking to him in between this and, and it was a crazy experience and it was this huge high. Like this is the pinnacle of the sport at that level. NCAA Division I NCAA tournament, the peak. And I'll never forget, he told me after he experienced all that, he was like, man, I just kept thinking. I couldn't help but think. Like this prevailing thought was on me the whole time when I would go back to my room after all of this excitement. I just kept thinking like, is this all there is? Is this, is this it? Because when I was in it, it felt like this is it. Whoa. But like an hour later when I was in my room and it was quiet and I was thinking about, the, I was thinking about life and what matters and I'm like, is this really it? Like you see though, you see how our mind tricks us because the reality is nothing temporary can hold the weight of what we put on it. And the more and more and more we pile on it and the more expectation and hope and love and affection and worship we put on it, the harder the fall is gonna be when, not if, it ends. That's the nature of temporary things. They're gonna end. No good thing was ever meant to be the ultimate thing. There's only one who can occupy the ultimate position, and his name is Jesus. There's only one. Everything else is a cheap replica. Everything else is, is what are we going to start with? Well, he wants me to start with him. Let's start with this. I've already picked on you a little bit. Everything else is just like, 
But we love, we love sports. We love our team. I picked the red and white, you know, I picked it on purpose. We just won two years in a row. We won the national championship and I lost my mind when we did it. Not gonna last. How much time, how much money, how much affection, how much attention, how much priority are we putting on this? We've got another example in here somewhere. Let's try this one. Do you have one like this with like the magnifying glass on the other side? <laughs> Turn around and use this one, you know? Like that reveals too much. How, I mean, let me just. We spend all day polishing this idol. All day. All day. We start with it early. We think about it throughout. How do I look? How do I sound? What do they think of me? And then when somebody thinks that you're not measuring up, what does that do to you when you've polished this all day long? It crushes you. You cannot polish this idol. You cannot put your self-image in the place of your identity in God. It will inevitably crash. This is a tough one right here. We're uh, not that one. My daughter didn't want me to use this picture. She said it looks like a blob of slime. Uh, <laughs> scary. She said, "Don't use that one." And here I am. And I know some of you moms are like, "That's the cutest thing in the world," and some of you dads are like, "Why did I spend two hundred fifty dollars on this ultrasound and this canvas with like?" the one by fours that are real. That ain't particle board back there. Like this thing's gonna last, you know? And I'm like, I mean, it's cute and it's awesome that we can see this in the womb in 12 weeks. I think, I think she was 12, 13 weeks at this point. That's amazing. Here's what I wanna say. Your family, your kids, they cannot bear the weight of your worship. We cannot idolize our children, our families. Because no good thing, your family's a good thing, your kids are a good thing. This is weird to me, but it's a good thing. And it reminds me that life happens, you know what I'm talking about. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But it's not meant to be the ultimate thing. It's not. It can never bear the weight. Fear and worry <laughs> Maybe I should use a different one next service. 
That's a little bit of a stretch, isn't it? Fear and worry. <laughs> Was it not scary enough for you? <laughs> when you spend three hours dwelling on what you're afraid of potentially happening, when you spend hours of your day being lost in worry and anxiety, stress, fear, it's overcoming you, it's overwhelming you, and, and you spend hours to the point of you get this encouraging text from somebody in your small group that says God is still on the throne. You can believe it. And 30 seconds later, you're right back there in that cyclone of fear and a need to control. Do you see what we're doing when we let ourselves worship the fear? And we don't say it that way, but trust me, that's what we're doing when we continue to spiral down into this cycle of hopelessness and fear and worry, like what could happen? What if we're worshiping the fear and, and we're doing it to the point where we can't even hear the truth anymore? <laughs> this represents comfort. Do we agree? Can we agree on this one? No, it's a blankie, you know. Makes me comfortable. Nothing, ah, for me, let me just speak for myself. Nothing in my life makes it more impossible to obey God than all of my comforts. Nothing. And I could list them. And it makes it so difficult when I hear God speak or I think he spoke and I think he's leading me in a direction Ah, yeah, but then you know, I wouldn't have that. Like, you want me to go there? They don't even have air conditioning over there, you know? Like, what about my, this is a real thing for people with neck problems like I have. Like, what if they don't have a good pillow? You know, when I get there, I won't be able to sleep on that. I hear you, Bob. I think comfort and security is the antidote to radical obedience. I do. And I think we're platforming it like crazy. I think we're elevating it and we're making it a God. Gotta have it. I think it's dangerous. This one's dangerous too. Gotta have... Gotta have my likes, gotta have my popularity, gotta have my influence, gotta like give me that tap on that one on fa Facebook, you know, like Instagram. Just give me, I gotta have at least 150 of those to feel okay about my life. And some of you don't have Instagram and social media, but God bless you, don't, you know, don't get it. Some of you are like, I don't understand that. But I promise you, some of you do understand what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, we've tied our identity and our, our, like, everything is weighing in the balance when we post that picture. Because if I don't get enough of these, why am I even here? Ooh, that's a dangerous place to be. We can't idolize popularity. We can't idolize influence. We can't idolize somebody else's opinion approving us and enough of those opinions so that we can 
have enough of a following. (laughs) I'll pick a different one for the next one. All right, last one. Anybody, would anybody like to have $100? I got a couple of hands. Thank you for volunteering. For everybody in the room, if you could have this right now, what would you do? What would you spend it on? What, what, like, no strings attached. You got it. What did you, what would you do with it? This is a good thing. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. He didn't say the money is the root of all evil. You realize that, right? Like, don't hear the pastor say, you can't have any of this. Because God uses this. But there's a difference in God using this and this using us. You see that? And what happens when we get this is we immediately go to to how it and more of it can get us where we wanna go. And the longer you play that game, the longer this begins to use you instead of the other way around. Anybody, does anybody want it? My man, come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You got what you're gonna do with it? You don't have to tell him, you don't have to tell him. Don't take my point away. Yeah, you do what you wanna do with it. Oh my goodness. No good thing was ever meant to be the ultimate thing. Acts chapter 17, Paul comes into this scene, this this scene in Athens. It's gonna be on the screen. Maybe you have your Bible. Acts chapter 17, go there with me. Paul comes into the epicenter of intelligence, the epicenter of trade, the epicenter of education and art and culture was in Athens. And he comes into this epicenter and he starts talking to them about God. But before he does that, he wants to listen. And he begins listening to what they're doing and what they're saying. And he begins to understand more of who they are. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw and the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So in the marketplace, let me, just for a second, it doesn't, it's not what it may seem to you. The marketplace was not only where they bought food, like it was everything. We have nothing like this today. This is where they came for 
to gather. This is where they came for their news. This is where they came to buy things. This is where they came to trade things. This is where they came to be entertained. Everything happened in the marketplace. So this is the epicenter of the epicenter of the Greek world, Athens, the marketplace in Athens. This is where it's all going down. And Paul comes there and his heart is provoked towards what they're doing. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Some of y'all couldn't handle it. I couldn't be called a babbler. (laughs) It's what he said to the. Uh, Others said, sorry, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection and they took him and they brought him to, to that man. And they said, and they said this, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. It's strange for us. And we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They liked it. They wanted to be educated. They wanted to be the smartest. By the way, they were idolizing intelligence. That's okay, because God can use that too. So Paul, standing in the midst of, I can't remember how to say that. Yeah, okay. He said this. This is, what, this is what Paul said. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. I wonder if he would say that to us. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. And what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, I like it, he's, he's going right there to their language. For we are indeed his offspring. Even your poets are kind of close to being right. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, now it's been revealed. And he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all 
by raising him from the dead. He's talking about Jesus. The time of ignorance is gone. Jesus has come and he declared that he was there in the beginning with God. And he declared that he is the word of God revealed to us. And he declared that his death and resurrection would have to happen the way the prophets had spoken so that there could be forgiveness of sins. This is what Paul is addressing the crowd with. The time of ignorance is gone. And he commands all people everywhere to repent. So what do we do? We go back to what Joshua told the people of Israel way before we were even thought of being conceived. Remove your idols and stretch out your heart to God. Remove the idols and stretch out your heart to God. How is this possible? Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and we're almost done. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, we have confidence, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us then draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast to our hope. Let us draw near with confidence. What is our hope? What gives us this confidence? The gospel of your salvation. Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, born to die as a replacement for sinners like me. This is the great exchange. He died and he rose again so that all who trust in him and no other, all that trust in him and no other will have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So draw near with confidence. Put away the idols and cling to the cross of Christ because the gospel is the only cure for idolatry. Christ and him crucified for he has been given the name that is above every name. And now we have access to the father by his blood and his blood alone. So we cling to that cross. We cling to that hope. We draw near with confidence because of that hope and that hope alone. So I was prepping this week. Pastor Greg Worley sent me a text. He said, I don't know why I'm sending you this, but it's been stuck in my head all day. And he sent me the lyrics to the old rugged cross. Whew. Yeah, don't make them like they used to, you know. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. And my trophies at last I lay down.
trophies. Things that I care about should have brought a trophy too. That would have been good. And I'll cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. What does it mean to cling to the old rugged cross? It's just poetry unless we really understand. Like To cling to the old rugged cross. One, we have to acknowledge and, and believe in this historical event that actually happened where Jesus accomplished our salvation on that cross. Jesus also, remember, calls us to take up our cross and follow him. So to cling to the cross is not just to say, he did it, I professed it, I'm going to heaven. That's the first step. And then you pick up your cross and you follow him. You take up this mantle because God requires devotion. And the only way, for, if it doesn't sound like grace when I say that, let me just say that the only way that's possible is by grace through faith. The only way it's possible for us to be devoted to the only thing that's going to satisfy us for all eternity is his grace in the first place. So we cling to that cross. We cling to that cross and we will exchange it someday for a crown. We're gonna spend some time this morning searching our hearts. We're gonna worship some more. I want you to consider what we've studied today. I want you to think. Maybe there's one thing that God brought up to the front of your mind that you can't live without. Like, I, I can't let this go. I wanna encourage you today to, to come to the altar or, or stay in your seat or, or find somewhere where you can get along with God or maybe you need to grab somebody to help you through this, but let it go today. Ask him for strength and courage to lay it down, to put it away, to remove it, and then stretch out your heart to his. That's what I want to do in these last moments. Remove idols, stretch out your heart to God. Remove idols, stretch out your heart to God. What is it that's in the way? Get it out and stretch out your heart to the one who is stretching out his love to you. And remember the promise in Psalm 81 verse 10 that we read earlier. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So open your mouth wide and I will fill it open your mouth wide. You need something today. He is the giver of all good things. Open your mouth wide. He'll fill it with what you need. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel 
So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.